pod is back. The pod is back. The Long Twos podcast is back after all this time. After over a year of staying dormant, silent, and shut off from the world, the Long Twos podcast is back. I'm back. I'm Mike Vorkna. I cover the Knicks for The Athletic. I miss potting. I decided to get back into it again. No real interesting story for why <laughs> I and the pod were gone for so long. Just decided to come back and do it all over again. And here we are on the eve of the 2020-21 NBA season. The Knicks start playing tonight in Indiana. I thought, hey, that's a pretty good time to start this thing all over again. And for the first episode back, the long twos is going to be the long threes. Joined by Steph Bondi of the New York Daily News, Steve Popper of Newsday. Both guys cover the Knicks. And I just want to recreate some of the banter and the conversation that we have on the Knicks beat. Those guys kind enough to come on and talk about this upcoming Knicks season. The big picture with the Knicks, uh, the smaller things, Tibbs, Obi Toppin, RJ Barrett, um, Manuel Quickly, of course. And so uh, I think it was a pretty good pod. I think it's a pretty good way to get back into this. And uh, why delay? Why waste any more time? All right, guys. Uh, thanks for joining me uh, now on the pod. Steve Popper of Newsday. Steph Bondi of the New York hey. Daily News. I thought it would be fun uh, to do this with kind of a, a New York beat reunion on the podcast. I hope that no one will be cursing at me like you usually do when we're on press row at the guard. Uh, thanks for doing this. Cursing is allowed. Uh, you could curse. Right? I don't care. I just, I would hope for decorum and kind of, you know, kindness sake that you wouldn't. Well, then you're lucky Iceman. Yeah, I mean, podcast. I kind of had to draw the line. I, I didn't know how many um, MFs and F-bombs they could drop on the podcast. I didn't want to chance it. I don't know what our what our rules are. Good point. We will do it in the spirit yeah, of the holidays. Let's, let's have some mirth out there. <laughs> uh, so we're doing this on the eve of the 2020-21 Knicks season. And um, I don't know. Uh, it's I, I thought we could kind of talk about what's going to happen. Uh, we'll try to keep this podcast length to shorter than the waiting room for a Knicks media availability on a day-to-day basis. So we've got an over-under of about 70 minutes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow, starting it off hot, taking shots at the Knicks. It's okay. I like it. Uh, there's no way that Knicks PR will listen to this. Um, <laughs> guys, what are the expectations for this season? Uh, I guess, Steph, we'll start with you as as Steve uh, tries right. to attend to his dog in the background, who I, I believe is scared off by my voice. Um, so the expectations are pretty low, I would think. Um, what happened in, certainly in the offseason was that, you know, they didn't upgrade the roster. I think they decided to take the cap space that they had and um, punt it to next offseason, kind of. And, um you know, it looks like a rebuilding roster, and that's pretty much the expectations coming in, much like it was the last two seasons. I think the biggest difference, though, is Tom Thibodeau, who is not the kind of coach that you would associate with a rebuild. And um, it's going to be interesting to see how that whole plays out all season. But in terms of win total, I predicted 25, which I think is fair given that it's a 70 game se- 72 game season. Ridiculously optimistic. I went with 24. <laughs> I, right. I hit the under. Fair. I think I got to the, like 22. It was about 25 wins over a 82 game season. I, I, well, I, like, like think Steph, of it like I'm, I'm a believer in, in Tom, and I, I think I, I think you know when I when they first hired him, I started talking. You know, maybe they'll be a edge of the playoff team because I think he makes guys better. I, I've seen bad rosters that he's taken in the playoffs, and, and I, I just think 
that they didn't do enough to improve the team. They're just still too young to, you know, there's not a training camp, you know, a long training camp, a summer league. I, I just don't see them making that kind of progress. And what's the tougher Eastern Conference this year? Wait, Steve, which bad roster did he take to the playoffs? The Minnesota one? Well, I think I think I think that was, but I think also when you get when you look at like the Chicago teams, there were injuries every year, and they were suddenly you know, Aaron Brooks was the point guard, and Nate Robinson was the star of the team. There, there just wasn't a lot left by the time they got through the playoffs, and, and right. I think that I think that is kind of where you you kind of would shake your head like I can't believe they're still contending with this group. Well, this is where I I believe the Tibbs is. I covered the Brooklyn Nets. Um, and I think it was a 2012-2013 season. They played. They had a good team. They had Brooke Lopez. They had um, Darren Williams was healthy. Joe Johnson, and they played Tom Thibodeau Chicago Bulls in the first round. Derrick Rose was hurt. Um, Joe Kim Noah was basically walking around with two broken feet, um, and they ended up winning that series because Nate Robinson of all players just went ballistic. And I saw the adjustments Thibodeau made from game to game, and. That's when he sold me as, as a as a coach, and you're right. I do believe in him um, and his ability to make the most. So of I mean, his after roster. this preseason, the four games that we had, are you now more bullish on? I guess that projection. Like, did anything that I know it's preseason? Did anything change your mind? Are you now an Emmanuel quickly uh, stand? Like, is he the next coming? I want. I, I know we're all creatures of the moment and all that stuff, and I want to be reserved as possible. So I, I I'm not gonna go crazy about the preseason because not only is it the preseason, but they played the two. I mean that that Cleveland team they played in the second game was basically like the Canton Charge, right? I mean think about it. I, I didn't they cut like half the roster after after the people that after the people that played in that game after that game. So I'm not gonna go crazy, but you know Emmanuel quickly out of all the point guards. Um, I think he did the best job setting up the offense. He looked the most comfortable. Um, and he impressed me because, you know, when you, when you heard about him, it was, hey, this guy's a second-round pick. And you, and so I didn't have much expectations of him coming in, but he did look good. I, I agree with that. I think, I think Quickly looked good. And, and he looked the part. He looked like he played hard. He can shoot. Uh, he's confident, tough, you know, all the things you'd like to see. Um I don't know if he's a pure point guard. He says he is. Um, I know the Kentucky team wasn't great, you know, and he, he was benched or coming off the bench at one point. Um, you know, it, it, it's not like he's coming in the blue chip of the bluest, the bluest of the blue chips there. Um, but but what you saw looked good. Um, and, and look, I, I think they have nothing to lose by playing him. Um, Alfred Payton is a rental and a guy that they waived and brought back at a cheaper rental price. Um I don't think Hertz lets me do that. Um, I, I, just, I just am not a big believer in wasting time. This is not this is not Alfred Payton's team for the future. If Emmanuel Cookie is the guy and it takes five games for him to get ready to do that, I'd hand him the reins. Let him, let him try and see what happens. I don't know. To me, it kind of matters less than if he's a pure point guard than if the Knicks have enough guys who can generate offense, right? Like. You know, if quickly can get a few possessions in and make some stuff happen and RJ Barrett and Julius Randle and Peyton, like you need essentially enough playmakers to make things happen over 48 minutes. And I, and I get the whole like, you know, get them into their offense and running the things. But like at the end of the day, you just need guys who can run a pick and roll and either score or create good shots. And I, I to me, if quickly can defend ones and twos, that's that's more important. And you find out who can drive the offense for 48 minutes. Well, you know, well, you know what I'm worried about is who can't. 
And that's I'm worried that Dennis. That's Smith, a lot of them. Yeah, I worry that Dennis Smith and Frankie Lakina cannot do that at this point. So that's going to be something that uh, that's we're going to be watching the whole season what they're going to be able to do. And, and you know how much of a, a Frank Nilakina supporter I am. And he was the best shooting point guard they had last year, which talks about the low bar that quickly has to jump over here. So I, I think just having a shooter there is adds something to a team that's in desperate need of it. Yeah, and I think, you know, quickly is such a good shooter, and he has the reputation of one at least. I, I wonder if they'll be better off, you know, for parts of the game playing him off the ball just so he can kind of be that threat for them and – it does seem a little bit in the preseason that the scouting report was make sure you deny quickly, um, and, and that could maybe lead to some open shots for other guys. And I, I the closest comparison that I can make, and I've only been covering the team since like 2016-17, you know, Wayne Ellington had a little bit of that gravity to him last year, but then again, you know, that's you know that's not a great comp, and, and probably you want someone more, uh, I don't know, just a better player overall to, to draw that. I think at full strength they'll be a better shooting team than they were last year because you almost can't be worse, but but I think Rivers will help, Burks will help, a healthy Bullock will help, and, and I think quickly will help too if you put him in there. And again, like I say, there's nothing to lose here. You know, this is not Alfred Payton's future, um, you know, and, or Dennis Smith and, and apparently not Frank Milikina. So so I think, you know, if he's ready, if, if he's ready on opening night, let him start on opening night. If it takes 10 games, let him take 10 games. But what? why not? Well, because because Tom Thibodeau is not like that. I mean, you look at his history; he's not going to. And certainly, rookie rookie point rookie ball handlers and point guards are going to have a uh, a growth phase where they're going to make mistakes. And I think t- Tom is going to want to play the players that give him the best chance to win immediately. And he's not the kind of coach where you'd be like, "Well, this guy's not part of the future, so we're not going to play him." I just don't think that's part of the equation. Although the one thing we saw in preseason was it was no different than David Fisdale in that. The point guard doesn't look like he's going to be the primary ball handler. It's going to be Barrett and Randall handling the ball more often than not. And if Quickly's a shooter, that that helps with that. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, I, I do I do want to say I think the spacing looks better, at least so far in the preseason, than it did last year. I don't know what that means. Um, you know, they still, like, we're 27th in three-point shooting, so it's still, still an issue. But maybe that can kind of lead to better shots and more – and better shots inside and in the lane and all those types of things. But they're going to have to figure it out. I don't think it's bad if R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle and Alfred Payton um, – well, I, let me put this uh, – let me I cut myself off there. Um, it's not ideal that those are the guys leading your offense, but, I mean, it's just not – it's not bad relative to just, like, the, the point guard starting every offense. I mean, in the wake of a pandemic and, and the contested election – I'm not as worried about Julius Randle's ball handling as I was a year ago, but but it's still not a good, it's not a good thing. Being third on that list that, is not a good how'd thing. How did you get that comparison? I, are you gonna Are you saying Trump is gonna go and ask someone to go on the floor of Congress to overturn Julius Randle's contract? Like, where was that going? I'm sure Barack Obama would have an opinion on Julius Randle uh, driving the ball into triple teams. I, mean, <laughs> I, I think Julius Randle gets a bad rap, guys. I do. I, I kind of agree. I kind of go with Steph on this one. He's he, It's not his. Look, one, I think the number one rule is if they give you money, take the money in the NBA. Uh, and two, he just, you know, he like he's he wasn't positioned to be the number one guy in an offense. And, you know, he just got put in a bad spot. And he was he was also like given the license to do all those things. Right. Right, I agree. I agree with that. He's a talented player, and and in the right role, I think he's, he could be an important piece for a good team. They're not a good team, and being the star of, of of the team is not a great role for him. I don't think. 
I agree. But I, I do think it's worth questioning whether he will accept that role um, of being the secondary or third or fourth option on a team because he's really never had – I mean, when, when he was in New Orleans, he was averaging 20 points and whatever, and he was the number one guy over there well, next to Anthony Davis. So it's worth questioning. Andrew Holiday. Andrew Holiday, I guess. I, I, but he, I don't want to send the subject spiraling out of control, but I don't think we'll ever find out because I think if they can find a trade for a better player – his contract will certainly be a part of it. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I mean, that's the thing. Like he's, he's got essentially an, an aspire, a $22 million aspiring contract. Cause he's only got a $4 million guarantee for next year. And this year he's not going to have to take a smaller role. Like even in the preseason, we saw that he was still empowered to do a lot of the things that he was doing last year. And that's just kind of, you know, that's kind of out of necessity. He is probably still um, until RJ Barrett surpasses him, the most talented offensive player in the Knicks. I, I think what Steph said earlier is true. Thibodeau will use what's the best talent he has to try and win that night, which is why I think we haven't seen him take the ball out of Julius's hands because he is the best player they have. And that's probably why they're going to be, we're talking 24, 25, 22 wins, whatever. I guess I, I wouldn't one question though with the quickly thing. So I, I think everyone is kind of skeptical of uh, of all the CA ties and the Kentucky ties that the Knicks had in their offseason and we're building on. Is the quickly thing kind of validation of at least having all those ties and, and I don't know, utilizing them if he does pan out? Again, it's four preseason games. I'm not ready to canonize them, but still. Well, that I mean, if it works, this is the way I've always thought about this. If it works out, then nobody will care, right? And they will actually uh, be praised for that connection and, and using that. But if it doesn't work out, they've left themselves open to a lot of criticism because you've really, at least you get the sense that they've narrowed their play, their pool to a specific kind of college and a specific agency. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Emmanuel quickly, out of everybody that they, they acquired, this regime from Kentucky and from CAA, I think, um, Obi Toppin and, and Emmanuel quickly are probably the two most consequential, consequential acquisitions. So a lot will depend on how those two pan out. Uh, I'm like you, I think, I think you look good in preseason, but I'm not ready to just anoint him as like, you know, this, this great player already. I think we have to wait and see. Right. It re- really. It was only a couple quarters that we saw. I mean, the first game he didn't even play. And, and, and I think the thing about the Kentucky thing, you know, that's great if one of them turns out but they don't have the best of Kentucky. And even, I guess, the, the one thing I'd be skeptical of, basketball is a global sport now. We're, we're amazed at how you know players come from not only every college, every high school, but everywhere. And that you have half your roster come from one thing kind of says maybe to me that you're not doing all the scouting you should be doing right now. Are you telling me World Wide West isn't global? It's in his damn name. I, apparently, it's like, I, I don't know what a small town with a W in Kentucky is, but that's that seems to be what we're on right now. <laughs> I, I do I do wonder how all this will play out. And I guess, you know, kind of the underlying thing for, um, for, for where the Knicks are now is like, there does seem to be like a still, still a move to go, right? Like they have $18 million in cap space. Um, you know, this seems like an incomplete roster, either, you know, maybe by the trade deadline or like in next offseason. It does seem like this is all kind of biding time until something bigger. Right. I think that they're waiting for that next disgruntled star to pop up or that next opportunity to get a a star player via trade. And I think they're going to look bad if they don't do it by the uh, trade deadline or they don't do something by the trade deadline because they have this cap space and the cap space um, doesn't carry over. 
and you have to use it, right? Or else it just disappears. Um, so they didn't use it in, in different ways where they, you know, I don't know how, what they could have gotten back for, for Nick Batum. I assume it, even if it wasn't a first round pick, they could have got back multiple second round picks or something like that. So if they don't use it, um, then they're, they're going to look bad for saving it for no reason. I, I think where Thibodeau comes in too is making these players more attractive in a trade. I mean, like right now we, we can say who's a disgruntled superstar. James Harden is out there. Should they grab him? He's obviously a thousand times better than anyone they have. But even, even in the circumstances of considering what the strip clubs are in New York and what, what the nightlife is like and whether he would want to be a part of this and he'd be happy, what, what would they give up possibly to Houston that they would ever consider as compensation for him? Right. I, that's, that's the problem is they don't have an attractive package right now. And I think that was, that was the problem with uh, last year when they tried to get, or two years ago when they tried to get Anthony Davis. And it's been a problem for a long time now. Well, I mean, I think I, I actually think back to something David Fisdale said last year um, when he was talking about, you know, how the Knicks can rebuild. And he said, it's kind of what the, the Nets did, which was build internally to go to a place as a franchise where you're competitive, uh, competitive enough where you can become attractive to those stars, whether it be in free agency or who want out. And I guess that's the appeal of Tom Thibodeau is that he will make you more competitive on a night-to-night basis and kind of maybe the margin over uh, another coach is like three more wins this year and then, you know, that keeps adding up over the next few years. But at some point, they just have to start winning games. Like, they have trade assets if they want. You know, I'm sure their first-round pick in the 2021 draft is pretty valuable. They have two first-rounders. Their own first-round picks for the next few years could be pretty good. Uh, depending on how bad they are. So they have things they could trade. I, at some point, you just got to be a good team. That's what players want to go to, right? Oh, 100%. And they're so far from that right now. I, I just I don't see any night where they're I, – I got a text the other day, two days ago, from an executive around the league, another team, who said, happy holidays, Knicks are going to be really bad this year. And <laughs> that that already is the consensus, and, and, I, and I don't think our predictions are, are – changing that. I mean, I don't think anybody's predicting them to be a 500 team or to make some big jump. Um, and, and even the players who, who are, we kind of like say are untouchable. I don't think the consensus around the league is that Mitchell Robinson or RJ Barrett are such, you know, a desirable piece that teams are, are flowing through the doors for them that, that you need to make them untouchable. I, I think, you know, if I could get a start, whether it's James Harden or anyone, I, I'd include them in the deal. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like, I think the, the, the two most important guys this year for the Knicks are going to be Mitchell Robinson and RJ Barrett, just to see how they develop. I'm not ready to like, just cast them off for the first star that comes along for the sake of getting us getting uh, a star. Like I think it fit a little bit, both in timeline and all the other stuff matters. I mean, I, I'm, I don't know. RJ looked pretty good in the, in the preseason except for, and this is the, always the qualifier except for his jump shot. And so we're going to have to see like where that goes this year and where he goes. So you have a wing that you think is your star player who doesn't have a jump shot and was able to score against the Canton charge inside. Is that really a great thing? I, I don't know. I would say he's a wing who by the end of his first contract could be a guy who you say, okay, this is the number two or number three player on a really good team. Um, and that becomes a place where when you're going into free agency or uh, pre-agency or angry star shopping, you say, okay, you come here these are the building blocks you come to join. Um, and then you, you know, you have to make your decisions. Otherwise to me, like, what do you do with Mitchell Robinson? Cause he either has 
this year left on his contract or the next two years because um, the Knicks could opt out and, and make him a restricted free agent in the summer, and they almost have to make a decision of whether to pay him or not, and he still hasn't locked down a starting job um, despite all the fanfare. Yeah, I, I, I think that for me, R.J. Barrett has shown that he has a pretty bright future in this league. I don't know about All-Star, but he's shown that he's, like you said, number three or number four on a good team. Mitchell Robinson is though is a big question mark for me um, for a lot of reasons, but I, I think the the way that you the Knicks should handle his contract, and I think the way they will handle it is let him hit restricted free agency. They can actually lock him up in an extension now, but I don't think that's a good idea for the Knicks. I think the best idea would be to, after the season, they need to rip up his team option for next season, and then they can uh, make him a restricted free agent. And I don't know how much you know how much value he has out there in the open market um, where they would have to match. I think they can get him at a pretty good price after the season. So that would be the way I approach Mitchell Robinson. And I and I think not to demean RJ, like what you said about him, Mike, is you know third or fourth guy on a good team. And, and I, I'm not saying he can't be that. I'm just saying that James Harden or Russell Westbrook are number one on a good team. Are they? Uh, is I mean, what Harden is is Westbrook. I like I wouldn't trade RJ and like picks for Russell Westbrook. I wouldn't have done that deal. I, I don't know. I mean, he's certainly a lot better than anything they have right now. This is a guy that's averaged triple doubles, been MVP consideration, been been an All Star, and freakish talent. You know, freakish athleticism out of out of every injury for some reason. I talked myself into Russell Westbrook towards the end there, but I would not have traded R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson for him. He would have had to come at a price where you're basically saying, "Look, I'm taking on this guy's salary for you." Then I would have. I mean, that's what we say, but. They got John John Wall, who's again is an equally bad contract. Yeah, it's an equally bad contract. Right, but but an equally also talented guy if he's back healthy, like people like people are saying he looks like this year. Yeah, but John Wall is thirty. Russell Westbrook is thirty-two with kind of depreciating knees, and um, I wouldn't. I mean, just I wouldn't have done that deal. I I was like with Stefan that I eventually talked myself into it, but if the trade was you know, kind of for the bare minimum there, which it kind of was for the Wizards too. They they got off of, a you know, the same contract, but probably a worse player plus a pick, which wasn't that much of a price to pay. But if the Knicks, you know, traded anything of actual value, I would have thought it was bad deal for them. Yeah, I, I mean, I was that way too, but I'm, I'm just saying like, what's the upside on these guys? And, and here's the other side is what if RJ Barrett isn't that upside? Because there's a guy that was a year uh, ahead of him in the league who had similar numbers as a rookie. And fans wanted him waived. Kevin Knox. I mean, he was a player of the month, rookie of the month. He, you know, averaged what did he average? 12 and a half, 13 points a game as a rookie. You know, controlled the ball a lot. And then last year was completely lost. Um, we, we don't know what these guys are going to be. We know what James Harden is. And, and I'm not a James Harden supporter. I, I, don't, I don't think I'd ever want him on a, a contending team, a good team, you know, unless, unless you have a coach who really can control him. I'll, I'll take James Harden. Yeah, and I think Thibodeau could control James Harden. <laughs> but I, I, and regarding your point about Kevin Knox, I think RJ Barrett has already proven that he's a better player than Kevin Knox. Yeah, I Kevin, agree there. And Kevin Knox, you know, he has still has some upside, and you don't want to uh, bury him already because he's still so very young. Um, but he's shown a lot of holes in his game and a lot of concern. Whereas RJ has shown that he, he more control of the game, more more control of getting to the basket and, and getting to where he wants to go and getting the line and stuff like that. I think he's shown 
that he's he's more capable of doing that kind of stuff. So I'll say this: you're putting RJ somewhere between Kevin Knox and James Harden, and which one do you think he's supposed to do? <laughs> I wouldn't have listen. I wouldn't have put him on like the all rookie teams last year. I wasn't throwing a fit about that, but like I thought he showed some good sides. You know, I, I thought his defense was passable for a rookie. I thought he was showed some interesting stuff when you actually like put him in a situation where there are players spaced out pretty well for a basketball court. Um, he, he seems like a good passer and he has high basketball IQ. Uh, I, I'm still bullish on him. I just want to say you guys are saying third or fourth best player on a good team. I'm saying second or third is his ceiling. I just oh, want that on right. the record. I want it on the record. Well, well, well I want to, well, we can sell this right now, Bork. What does cleaning the glass say? <laughs> I don't know. I'll check. Right. I'll have to see what they say in terms. Of, I don't know if they have a, a ceiling generator stat yet. Oh, well, then that's disappointing if they don't. I know, I know, I know. Do you know how to get to cleaning the glass yet? Have you figured out what the URL is? No, I, I need your login, right? Okay. You got to give me your login. So, <laughs> I, <laughs> What did you think of Obi Toppin, who's the other, uh, other, other lottery pick on this team? I thought in the opener against Detroit, he looked, uh, he looked good. He looked quick, uh, especially in the open court. He looked athletic. But then when they made some adjustments on him and kept him on the outside, he showed a lot of holes, specifically with his jump shot. I mean, not only were his three-pointers off, but they were way off. And he was he was launching them from a pretty far distance. And he was wide open, but he was launching them. And, they, and some, some of them weren't even close. Um, so that was a concern, certainly. But, you know, obviously you don't expect everything to come together in, in the first four preseason games. Um, and he is an athletic player, somebody that, the, you know, the – has a bright future i think um certainly when you talk to scouts they they're pretty high on them so we'll see but like i said it was an up and down preseason i i think too that you know as much as i like to argue i think barrett and and knox and ob are all young players and they all with a good coaching staff which i think i think tom has here they're going to get better and, and i think i think top and you know again like, like steph said you can't judge them off what you're seeing in, in four preseason games but i do think that we see hints that with a good point guard, he'd be best in a, in an open floor game, filling lanes, pulling up. You know, I, I just think um, right now he could do that at an NBA level. And, and unfortunately, they don't really have that unless unless quickly is that guy really quickly. And and I will say this. If you look at him, right, and he was wearing that number one, now he's not as good as Amari Stoudemire, but he looks just like him the way yes. he played. His yeah. demeanor, right? It looks. I was thinking like, that too. The way he right? moves a little bit on the perimeter, like like he's sort of hunched over too. I mean, yeah. he looks just like him. It is yeah. eerie, right? But I, but in terms of his game, I think it's a little bit more because he doesn't have. I, I haven't seen much from his post up yet, although they tell me in college he was pretty good at it. it reminds me a little bit more of Kenyon Martin than Amari Stoudemire. But but Kenyon, I covered when he came in the league, and he was such a monster defensively that I think it's a completely different different kind of guy. Um, but but I do think, and I will say this, we only know him, you know, a little bit that we know him now. But he, and, and a same, I'd say the same for Knox and Barrett. They're all good kids. Like, I, I, I think I get a sense from top, and we talk about who wants to play in New York. I've, I've never seen a guy so happy to be here as Obi Toppin, and he just seems like, you know, whatever you tell him to do, he'll run through a wall. Right. And you, you're right. I think they have some good character guys on this team. And, and I'd be remiss to, to not say this as, as reporters, I've been very surprised and happy with 
Tom Thibodeau with us, right? I mean, what 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 was his reputation? And he was this gruff, you know, short answer guy. He's been great with us. So yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> which is good, which is good because none of us have heard much from Leon. Right. So, right. Uh, so so Tom, Tom has represented well. Uh, and, and look, we those of us who know Tom, and I know you do, Steph. You know him over the years. He's a good guy. He's sort of like Van Gundy, has that gruff exterior, but is a funny guy and a good, you know, just loves the game and loves to be a part of this. And and I think probably learned a little bit from his prior stops. And to be fair, and, and this is the other side of it, Fisdale was also very good with us. That didn't work out so well on the court. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, that did not go well, although he was a joy for the media. Um, I guess it's just to go inside baseball for a sec. Like, how do you guys plan on covering this season? Uh, it's, it's scary. You know, I, I mean, I, I don't think it's a fear of at the game. I, I think that will be controlled. Uh, look, it stinks the way it's going to be. It stinks that we can, you know, we can, I'd get tested every day if we could go down and talk to people but we can and it's not safe and, and it's going to be, you know, interviews are not going to be as good. You're not going to know guys as well as you should um, to give that information to fans, to be a part of it. Um, but I, but I think the scarier thing is look, we've got to go, you know, I, I drive to the arena. I park in a valet parking. Do I want a guy, you know, in my car who I don't know where he's been, you know, it, it's, you know, every, every part of this until we get the vaccine out to the majority of people is a scary thing. Yeah, I, I, well, it's really frustrating because I think as a beat writer, you you take pride in being as as much part of the team as, as really a reporter can be. You travel with them. You're always around them. You get a good sense of the moods and everything and the personalities, but in the, you don't get any of that in this situation. Um, we, You know, I still haven't – I spoke to Leon once since he got the job. I haven't spoken to him at all. I still haven't – I've never met World Wide West. Um, you know, I've only done zoom calls with, with Thibodeau and all this stuff. So it, it really feels like I'm very detached from the team. I think I've, I'm going to feel comfortable going to the arenas to cover the games and the Knicks are actually going to be testing us, uh, when we go there, like, I guess it's going to be a rapid test. So that makes me feel more comfortable. Um, but it, you know, just the day to day doing our job, it makes it pretty tough. Yeah. I mean, it does seem like it's gonna be less, uh, of a kind of quasi embedded situation and more of of a voyeurism, I guess I would say, which I, I do worry, you know, both in terms of the coverage and just the types of stories that we can write and just, I think we'll suffer for that. No doubt. I, I think that, that, you know, 90% of a relationship you get with a guy isn't asking him about what we're asking in that little zoom interview. It's getting to know a guy, you know, you know, there were times certain guys are better than others, but there are guys we, we talked to in a lot of them. Dennis Smith is a personable guy. You know, when you talk to him, and you learn about their childhood, you learn about their family, whatever. And, and, and I think you develop relationships when you're not talking about what happened in the game. And that's all lost this season. Yeah. I think the players will suffer for it because I think, you know, they become more three-dimensional, uh, three-dimensional and more human when you can just talk to them and write about things more than just two questions in a zoom call without follow-ups like, uh, you know, and despite what the Knicks might like, we become more human to them too. <laughs> yeah. Features are out the window. There's no one-on-one interviews or anything like that. So that human side of the players, we don't get to tell that story. Yeah. I, I'm still thinking now that we're talking about it, it's pretty crazy. Uh, Leon Rose's first game at the Garden was March 2nd. And so by then already the pandemic had been, uh, I mean, the coronavirus had already been kind of making its way around the country and around the New York area. And if you remember, 
you know, he kind of went down the baseline there at MSG, shaking hands, doing small talk. And it's just wild to think how unbelievably far away uh, that night is. If we were going to curse on this, I would imagine Rudy Gobert probably would like to curse at everyone that criticized him because we all were, nobody knew anything back then. Yeah. And I, and Rudy was at the garden like three nights later or something right. like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We just there's nothing that we knew. I have this picture when the pandemic started of me interviewing Donovan Mitchell, like basically right in his face. Yeah. And like, and so, and then he got ended up positive. And at, at that time, it, nobody, like you said, nobody knew anything about this virus or how deadly it was. So just the, I'll never forget that, that, that week because it was crazy. I remember even sitting, you know, sitting next to Berman in Atlanta, you know, you know, shoulder to shoulder with Berman in the pre- press row at, in Atlanta that last night, you know, as we're the last team playing and then getting, getting on a plane the next day that was, you know, pretty much full, no masks, no, you know, no one knew what they were doing. I remember uh courtside behind, before that jazz game at MSG, I was talking to Donovan Mitchell senior, Donovan Mitchell's dad. Cause I knew him cause he, I used to cover the Mets and he works for the Mets and we just chatted for like 10 minutes. And then his son walked by, he hugged someone, I think in the crowd. And like, I said, hi to him. And then a week later we learned that Donovan Mitchell tested positive and then I'm now like self-quarantining in my apartment to wait until Donovan Mitchell Sr.'s coronavirus test came back <laughs> positive or not to know whether I had then had to go get tested. <laughs> so we um, both were quarantined because of Donovan Mitchell. I did the same thing. Yeah. I, I called the New Jersey COVID hotline. And I'm like, what do I do? This is what happened to me. And they're like, just wait. Well, you guys are <laughs> yeah. used. What the hell? Um, yeah, it's crazy. Um, all right. So we got about like, a few minutes left as the Zoom countdown clock is raging. Um, anything else you want to say about this upcoming next season? You want to get off your chest? I just think it'll be. I think it'll be interesting to see what Thibodeau can do with this because, as Steph pointed out earlier, this is probably the least accomplished roster he's ever had. The least time to work with them, uh, but I have great faith in what he does. I, I, I've I've seen him before with you know as an assistant coach. I knew him in New York, and I've seen what he does as a head coach. He gets the most out of guys, and, and we've heard it from players already about the repetitions and the seriousness of practice. I, I'm curious to see, and, and I'd like to be proven wrong that, that he can make this better than the 24 wins I predicted them for. Um, and if, if they do, I, I put it all on him. I, I think he's the guy who can make it happen. I, this is sort of off the sort of off topic a little bit, but I'm interested to see how the whole Knicks Nets dynamic is going to be this season, um, just in terms of um popularity and how you know how they're going to be covered and the reaction from everybody to the, that dynamic because you're going to have a team in the nets that are going to be chasing a title they're, they have two players on the team they're, it's very combustible right there's bound to be some sort of dysfunction with that team and the knicks are kind of you know still in that rebuilding phase and um, there's not supposed to be that much drama there's not high expectations but they're still the knicks right so I'm very curious to see how that whole dynamic plays out, and I feel it's going to be very interesting because I covered the Nets before, and they had when they had Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce, and it didn't matter; it was still all about the Knicks. So uh, I'm curious to see how this all shakes I, out. I covered the Nets when they went to the finals two years in a row, and, and I maintain that kid Kenyon Martin Kittle's team was one of the most fun teams to watch I've ever covered. You know, locked down defensively, amazing fast breaks, and they couldn't sell out playoff games. It's it's a strange dynamic, and I think they'd probably be better off in Seattle. But I yeah I think I think uh, in New York it'll still be uh, people will still be talking about the Knicks, but I think the Nets are more of a national team right now than anything. And I guess else. the thing we should add to all our predictions for this season is, I, I guess I'd be 
I picked the Knicks for 24 wins, and I wouldn't be surprised if the season didn't last 24 games. So. Oh, oh wow. Let's, real real optimistic there. <laughs> Let, let's end that on that note, I guess. Uh, I, I just don't know how they're going to do this. I mean, they did everything right in the bubble, and, and they're doing everything. You know, our players, when, when you send a player to a city, you know, for, for three nights, are they really staying in their room? You know, here's something that nobody's talking about. At what point does the NBA players get, like, close to herd immunity? Like, the, the, the Brooklyn Nets had probably had, like, two-thirds of their team test positive already. So what does that mean going forward? Do they, and they and when they brought all these players back from the bubble, what, how many positive tests were there? 50-something? Yeah, well, yeah. right? But I guess the other thing is, is do you want to play that team that has eight guys with COVID? Right. Uh, I also don't know that uh, how long the immunity lasts for. I think that's one of the kind of the, the questions that we don't have as this becomes an epidemiology podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks a lot, guys. I really do appreciate you guys co- uh, coming on. I mean, if you're not reading Steve and Steph already, you should be. Um, we are uh, competitors on the beat, but I don't. I have no problem saying that everyone should uh, read every Knicks writer out there. Um, you can follow Steve at, at Steve Popper on Twitter, read him on at Newsday, and Steph's at S Bondi, NYDN on Twitter, and read you at the Daily News. Um, thanks a lot, guys, for doing this. I really do appreciate it. So all we could do is we, we can't be in a press box together. So this is as close as I want to be. Right. Well, thankfully we can't. But yeah, thank, <laughs> thanks for having me, man. Yeah, I don't think you guys mind that that part that much. The lack of no. press box time. It was together. nice to do this. You don't want to get into the sushi. Right, it was nice to do this. Oh, no, next next podcast. Sushi, we'll get the sushi next nice podcast. Without, we'll, we'll give Steve his, his time. Without press box sushi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, All right. guys. All right.